For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me tonight is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh for the Sword. Corey, my brother, how you been? It's been a while. I've been good. Ricky <laughs> Rubio coming back always lifts up everyone's spirits. Absolutely, man. In the past few nights, we've seen a game in which three different Cavalier players finished with 20 or more points. Uh, We've seen the Caps fail to take advantage of a very winnable game in Minnesota against a pretty banged up and exhausted Timberwolves team. That one really pissed me off. (laughs) And we've also seen uh, Darius Garland turn it on the fourth uh, fourth quarter of that MLK game. Uh, in which he finished with 30-plus points against the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, leading us to victory. All of those things have occurred, and we should appreciate them. And we have also need to accept and learn from the defeats that we've had. But the Cleveland Cavaliers still have had a bigger storyline over these past couple of games, and you already pointed it out. No topic bigger at this point in time than the return of Ricky Rubio, who came back on January 12th. Um, and while, you know, none of these games, none of these three games that he's appeared in, we've not necessarily seen like the explosive version of Rubio that we did see at times last season. Hell, his uh, his outing where he got injured against New Orleans was one of his best games of the season, which was a crazy way to end that. And his impact already seems pretty apparent. Since returning to the floor against the Portland Trailblazers, Rubio has averaged 4.7 points, two rebounds, one assist, while completing just 38.5% of his field goals. So, Court, with that being said, has Rubio looked as spry as ever? Is it, or is it just a classic case of me wearing my wine and gold tinted glasses? <laughs> I mean, Rubio, we were saying in the offseason, was going to be one of those players that we didn't feel necessarily that the injury was going to affect his game like going forward because his game was never built on athleticism itself. It's more about smarts and just passing versatility. And you definitely see that he brings more of a connective tissue to the bench that doesn't feel like it has to be buoyed by the presence of Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland in order to have some uh, offensive gravity to it. I mean, the stats don't necessarily show that Ricky Rubio has <laughs> Boy, been do they? <laughs> like one of those players, but I, in that Portland game, 
Rubio was slinging the ball all over the court and it just turned like we, we, the whole season, if you asked a Cavs fan, probably what their major gripe is, it's the lack of offensive punch in our bench unit. And we're kind of seeing that with Ricky Rubio's return because it's not like he's create not creating good opportunities for others. I would argue he's creating some of the best looks in this three game stretch of anyone during that stretch. It's just that whoever he seems to pass to doesn't want to reward Ricky Rubio for his craftiness by proceeding to brick, whatever right. attempt is Kevin, we're up. looking at you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't say that as a <laughs> member of the Kevin Love fan club, but uh yeah, Kevin is in a slump. Times are tough, you know, but this is when I start uh, elevating myself amongst the ranks of the Kevin Love fan club and now currently taking uh, membership of the Karis Levert fan club as well. Somewhere I didn't <laughs> see myself uh, being a year ago, but I feel like, you know, I have to defend my boy as he's getting thrown into every mock trade under the sun. That is probably going to continue to happen. No lie. We'll get to that here in a bit. Uh, but I'm glad to know it's not just me. Like there is a a definite energy that Rubio carries around him when he's on that floor. Like the ball's moving a little bit more. Everybody looks to be more involved. And one of the things that we've often talked about uh, since Rubio was uh, was acquired by the Cavs was the fact that he has gotten the best out of Jetty Osman. He's gotten the best out of Kevin Love. And that, those games in which Rubio was healthy uh, for those 34 games last season, they seem to be playing their best basketball. Um, Kevin Love used that to catapult his season into like six man of the year territory, uh, which is great. Uh, but it, it really is truly good to see Rubio. Like I, I don't know if we're going to see him put up the same type of numbers that he did last year, just because this is such a different Cavaliers team than it was last year. So much has changed. So many different players have gone in uh, and co- or, or come out. There's just this, this team is world different. But for me, like a lot of the times when you see a player come back from a significant injury like Rubio did, we're often on like pins and needles just watching to see if they'll get re-injured. Uh, were you even a little bit afraid of something happening to Ricky or do you still carry some of that like preserved worry anytime he makes a movement? No, not necessarily. I feel like Rubio's return was delayed as long as possible. It didn't feel like he was rushed back by 380 days. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's insane to think that it's been a, a year plus of no Ricky Rubio in our lives as Cavalier fans. And we never thought we were going to get it again after the Carousel race. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, Rubio, uh, I just didn't feel that's like, again, his game isn't really athletic so i wouldn't worry about him doing like a john morant-esque move that could put his life in danger again (laughs) (laughs) the worst thing that's going to happen to ricky rubio is someone's knee awkwardly bumps into his like on the side and then he's down again or something that's like the only way it could really pan out i don't think ricky is gonna like injure himself via some weird athletic demonstration to the crowd he just plays his game like an old man, <laughs> old, smart, technical, slow, Ricky Rubio. That's his slogan. It, it is a very cerebral approach that he looks to take to the game. And no, he's not like his his game is not predicated or built off of athleticism. But I do have to admit, like anytime I'm seeing him cut, you know, because he, he, he has a very 
weird range of motion, whatever he's moving. He runs uh, very herky jerky. It's like sudden, like it catches you off guard. It's it's. I think it catches the defender off, not because of the like insane speed of it. It's just that it's such a quick change of motion. It might be a slow transition speed, but it it is a, like a snap decision. Yes, it's very much odd, and it works, and and I love it. But anytime he's doing that, I just. At least, at least in that Trailblazers game, I was still a little bit antsy. But now that I've seen him get a little bit more time, uh, not so much, especially after I've seen him take that first charge when yeah. he came back <laughs> against Nurkic, I believe. Yeah, out of all the people, to have like a barreling center, seven-foot, like 250-plus pounder running at you. Absolutely. And it, it says something when you're coming – off of a significant injury like that and you have gary payton the second uh full court you know dn up on you and we know that gary payton the second is also uh had had just recently come back from injury but to have one of the better perimeter defenders in the game defending you full court in your first game back that speaks volumes about what they think of you like they were they're they're that they respect his game that much so that was a lot uh, a, a lot to see on the night, but I'm just glad this man is back. The dynamic that he brings to the table is surely going to give that Cavs bench a much needed boost. Um, fun fact, Rubio is averaging just 13.3 minutes uh, since returning. And for me, I just want to know, like, what's the biggest area right now that he can help with? Where do you see him being most impactful at this moment? Like I said before, I feel like it's just nice to have another player that can be on the ball and help be that connective tissue, not feeling like – I feel like with the Cavs in the past two seasons, they've been heavily reliant on their scoring guards to carry the weight of each lineup that they're in. I mean, Darius all last year was basically the lifeblood of the Cavs <laughs> offense, having to do everything it felt like facilitate and be a much more aggressive scorer than I think he's honestly comfortable with. And then this year with Donovan Mitchell on the floor, you ideally thought that it was going to help Darius take some of that weight off, but it feels like yes, Donovan and Darius play stretches of the game together, but JB has their minutes in such a way where it feels like one of them is constantly on ball and taking control of the offense. So it's going to be nice to have someone who can also do that, but obviously Ricky Rubio is not to the scoring level of either Mitchell or Darius Garland, but his facilitating is definitely up there with Garland's and Mitchell is an above average passer. I would say too. I mean, he's not naturally like a point guard type, but in this Cavs unit, he's really had to be. And I think they care. They want to Karis Levert to kind of be that Ricky Rubio esque player coming off the bench when we moved him from the starting five over. But I think every Cavs fan has seen that we all know Karis Levert can get tunnel vision at times, <laughs> but also his facilitating is really good. It's just that, you know, that's not his primary like play style on the floor. It's more of a like secondary option for him. And Rubio is obviously a pass first player. He's definitely not looking for shots. He'll just take them if they're available. I think that's fair to say. Like for like, I really just want to know how this is all the the dynamic of this. I want to see how this is all going to play out because obviously, you know, heading into last season, there was this whole question mark on how Karis Levert, well, not how Karis Levert, how Colin Sexton, how Darius Garland, and how Ricky Rubio would all be able to function. And we saw lineups prior to uh, Colin Sexton going down. 
Uh, we did see a few lineups with three of them on the court together. I, I'm glad that that is not something that continued to be the case, although it was kind of forced just because of that injury to Sexton. But much the same heading into this season, we were kind of wondering, like, what's the dynamic here between uh, between Darius Garland and between Donovan Mitchell? And then you throw you have to throw Karis LeVert into that mix there. Like, where does he fit? As we saw Karis LeVert start the season off in the starting unit as the team's starting three, which has obviously changed at this point in time. It has been great to see that he is capable of doing that. But this is a player who was not on the roster last season, uh, you know, past a certain point last season. You had to trade Ricky Rubio to acquire him in the first place. Now you're talking about literally four of these guys who are capable of handling the ball. Like, very interesting dynamic here. You have DG and you have Mitchell, who are your primary ball handlers. You have Karis LeVert and you have Ricky Rubio, who can facilitate themselves. And so it's it, it's going to be a very interesting exercise to see how JB kind of um, stagnates their minutes or uh, staggers their minutes, rather. Um I, I'm very interested to see what some of these lineups look like. And I know we're going to talk about this uh, a little bit later, but – you know, I just want to know, like, is Rubio going to stay? Is this the new norm for Rubio, you think? Is he going to be a low-minute reserve, like a 15-minute and below? Do you see that being his future this season with the Cavs? I would say by postseason time, I expect him to be around 20 to 22 minutes a game. I feel like depending on how the game's going. But I don't think – I would be surprised if he plays less than 20 minutes a game by season's end. If so, you just know it's an injury maintenance thing because this bench desperately needs what he brings to the table. (laughs) So I think to go um, back to another point on Rubio's return and how they should use him, I think the best case scenario for Ricky Rubio to fit in the offense this year is to be able to give Donovan and Darius more off-ball catch-and-shoot opportunities because, like I said before, they they primarily seem to be the – the ball handlers when they're in their respective lineups, not when they're jointly together, but if they, if they three guards do end up playing together, that being Garland, Mitchell and Rubio, that would be a pretty deadly offensive matchup in the sense that you have two players who can be absolute flamethrowers from the three point line when asked upon. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, I think (laughs) statistically is one of the best catch and shoot players this year, if not the best. And, how Rubio allows Donovan to play off ball in ways that even when Darius is on the floor, like you, it it just unlocks so much more offensively for some sets because Rubio's vision is much better than Karis Levert's. Not no slight to Karis Levert, but like I said before, it's not his like primary skill as an NBA player. He's more of a shot hunter. But yeah, Rubio unlock could be a very interesting way to unlock more offense for this Cavs team and allow their two most dynamic offensive players to uh, take another step. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, And like I was saying before, guys, Rubio has been like the biggest storyline in town over this stretch since he's returned, but he hasn't been necessarily the only one. Uh, Corey, I've been really impressed with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley as of late. 
Uh, let's start with J.A., uh, who's averaging 22.3 points, 9.7 rebounds, and 4.3 assists over his last three appearances. It, it really, honestly, to me, seems like the Cavs are getting back to playing through their bigs, much like they did last season, to much success. I mean, that was literally their bread and butter last season was that pick and roll. And I know a lot of teams have, have kind of taken that away uh, this season. They've game planned for it much more than they did. And now that the Cavs are not trotting out a uh, three seven footer lineup, that's kind of changed things a bit as well. Uh, but over these last three games, what has impressed you the most about Allen? It just feels like he's returning to form. Like he's being used less like an accessory to an offense and more like an option. It feels like you said the offense is kind of pivoted from last year, and I, I don't necessarily think it's all just because we've gone from a tall ball to a smaller, like more regular lineup. I think it's more because when we would run the pick and roll last year with Jared Allen or Mobley, it was really all right. So either Darius is going to keep the ball and do his thing, or if you bite on trying to go defend Darius, he's just going to lob it up to one of the big guys. But this year with Donovan and Darius, it's it's just adding one more dynamic offensive player that is in the mix. Just it feels like the guards kind of just play tennis with each other, like with the <laughs> ball, like they're just throwing it back and forth. And yes, they're the Cavs are probably running the same amount of uh, picks up top, but you just know that Darius isn't necessary. It's like if it's there, he'll take it, but he's not good. Like primarily looking to lob it to Jared Allen or go to the glass because he knows that Donovan Mitchell or vice versa is also available. And then Isaac's off in the corner with his like four. Don't disrespect him. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to see that the offense is starting to actually use Jared Allen again. I didn't feel like Jared Allen has, I know there's been a lot of slander, on Cavs Twitter about the amount of points per game Jared Allen has been scoring. Like, but are, what, for people who are complaining, are you just expecting Jared Allen to like take the ball at the elbow and then just turn into Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and just whip <laughs> out some moves? Like we know what Jared Allen's offensive game is. It's getting the offensive board, putting it back up or collecting an oop from Darius or taking the occasional mid-range jumper, which happens like maybe what, like three times in a week that he'll decide to take that shot. <laughs> so it's just it it's just more of a signal that the Cavs are going to go to plays that they know will work. And I think that last game against New Orleans was kind of like a throwback game offensively for this Cavs team because it was Darius's show and the offense completely reverted back, not in a negative way, but it was a very familiar game to any Cavs fans who were watching the team last year. It just, it felt like you could have grabbed that game, copied and pasted it into last season, and you would have not, like, missed a beat. I I don't know if I could really put that any differently. Like, Donovan Mitchell didn't really have it going. Um, he still clearly felt the effects of that uh, cold that was had been nagging him. And I heard he pulled a groin too. Yeah, that definitely, and that definitely explains his like low minute totals uh, on the night. So they they kind of pulled him, and Darius was over to, was able to take over and drop thirty on the Pels, and they did get back to a similar type of offensive set that they had last year. Uh, for me, in regards to Allen, what, the thing that has probably impressed me the most is just his sheer ability to find like the open man, whether it be on short rolls or whenever he's literally 
on the move. I mean, at the elbow, I've seen him kick it out a few times. I've seen him take a pass or uh, from Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland, who really, or whoever really is handling the basketball and then him quickly rerouting that out to the perimeter, Um, especially off of dribble handoffs. Like it's, it's been something that's been really special. Uh, We continue to see like big to big passes either from Jared Allen to Evan Mobley or from Evan Mobley to Jared Allen. But both of these guys are making like a concerted effort to move the ball a lot more. And in an offense that, frankly speaking, had a lot of issues uh, last season in regards to uh, spacing at, at times. And at times this season, even uh, with that same bear, that very same issue, it's been really nice to see these guys kind of make plays for one another. Um, and in regards to Evan Mobley, like Mobley, I think it's safe to say like everybody, maybe us included. I don't know if we talked a whole lot about this, but I feel like the expectation for Mobley this season was breakout or bust, <laughs> like <laughs> breakout or nothing. Like, like people really had high expectations for this man entering this season. And some people feel like he has been underdeveloped. Like some people feel like he's kind of stagnated. Um, I've even seen some people suggest that we we look at trading Mobley, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I hope you blocked those accounts. <laughs> I do not understand that. Uh, that said, I do feel like the Cavs should look to get him a little bit more touches. Like he, he he does, to his credit, he seems to be more aggressive as of late and getting a shot and attacking the rim a little bit more often. Um, and over his last five, he's averaging six, seven, and two. But when you look at the season as a whole that Mobley has had, are you left wanting more from him, like honestly, or or do you think he's on the right track considering the current makeup of the Cavs? Yeah, I think it's more about the makeup than the player himself. I mean, if you took that same Cavs team from last year, copied and pasted, no roster change whatsoever, Mobley would obviously have a much bigger role on this team. But, you know, when you take a player who's scoring almost 30 points a game and requires a specific (laughs) amount of touches and adding him to a team that was already filled with a guard that would take around like 15 to 20 shot attempts a game in Darius Garland, Mm -hmm. uh, that's really going to hamper your ability to get more touches because you basically just double. You basically have 60 touches a game going to two guards. And like I said, Jared Allen only gets really involved via the guards. So those touch like all the entire Cavs offense runs through two guards pretty much with now Rubio coming back, hopefully creating more opportunities. But where were you expecting Mobley to score 20 plus points a game from? If you're going to have Jared Allen average around 15, Donovan average around 30, Darius average around 22, like Mobley, I believe is averaging around like 14 points a game, like a 14 and nine. I think he's averaging, but um, I think for as many mouths as there are to feed on this Cavs team, as long as Mobley remains a defensive force, which is what he showed last year, his offensive game is like it's going to be harder to develop with less opportunities. And it's not necessarily saying like his career is now permanently impacted. <laughs> it just means that he will just develop as the Cavs need him to, I think, over these next few seasons. I mean, I don't see a world in which the next few seasons that Jared Allen averages more points per game than Evan Mobley. This is probably the last season that 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 pecking order is going to be the same. 
I would say Jared Allen is more likely to be affected by the Cavs in the coming seasons than Evan Mobley. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you look at Jared Allen right now. He, we know what his game is. It's a lot of pick and roll, um, and he he's going to get his off of that. And I think Jared Allen can be perfectly satisfied doing that, and that's the beauty in it because you need guys like that who can just go out there, do the dirty work, um, get points, you know, the, the the tough way. And we we'd love Jared for that. Evan conversely has like such a unique game, such a unique build, and he only has room to develop further on the offensive end, like in ways that we just don't see happening for Jared Allen. I I I don't think it's a stretch to say we never see Jared Allen. Uh, we we may never see Jared Allen develop a consistent perimeter shot, like outside of it, I guess if you want to consider the mid range jumper, the occasional one that you referred to earlier, if you want to consider that perimeter, I don't know, <laughs> but maybe his perimeter. <laughs> exactly. But for Evan Mobley, like for him, we do see him possibly being able to add that as a consistent tool. Uh, it's, uh, you know, in, in, in his, in his shed of weapons. So <laughs> it's just, uh, one of these things for him where we just have to consistently get him enough touches so that he can't, he can hone these skills. Uh, but on this current Cavs team, I just don't know if that is one necessary, uh, to force feed him the ball. And two, I just don't know if there's enough of that to go around as you so eloquently put like when you have Donovan Mitchell taking over 20 plus shot attempts a game, when you have Darius Garland taking 16 himself, who knows what you're going to get out of the three from game to game, depending upon who's starting. And then you have Jared Allen coming in wherever he fits. I just don't want them to continuously feed him though. I do know. And I do kind of honestly want them to try and figure out ways for him to get more offensive touches, like not necessarily shooting the basketball, but for him to facilitate, for him to, to be the, the initiator. And we've seen that kind of being the case over these last couple of games, which I absolutely love. Like anytime you see an Evan Mobley stat line that reads something like, I don't know, uh, 19, seven and four or 19, seven and three, anytime you can see him getting more than two to three assists, absolutely love that and it's something that i continue to you know that i hope that the Cavs continue to employ but i just don't know like as the season wears on as you're adding more and more of these guys back into the mix a la ricky rubio dean wade uh you know you're and you're waiting on these guys to to get back to full strength i just don't know if it's feasible for him to average anything more than 14 15 points but who says that you need him to? Like I was going to say, it's not necessary with the way this Cavs team is built to rely on Evan Mobley offensively. We're winning games with Evan Mobley just doing what he needs to do. Exactly. I mean, right now, the way I look at it is Evan Mobley is kind of playing the Draymond Green role of this Cavs team. Not in the sense that, like you said, he's like dishing out like five plus assists a game. Yeah. But we're using him as the connective tissue with the bigs. And it's a mismatch for whoever he plays. I mean, right now, he's a very valuable player without having to score 20-plus points a game. And I know you want your younger players to, like, statistically look like they're taking a leap. But he still has areas of his game that need growth. And it doesn't mean he's a fit. Like, his development's, like, at a stagnant point. It just, like, his jumper is not the best from the three-point line. It still looks, like... Pretty ugly. (laughs) It's the same exact thing as last year. I'd say his mid-range game feels a lot better. I mean, he had that game-winning shot not too long ago. 
from the mid range. I think he he shows a lot of promise. I think his dribbling leaves something to be desired. I feel like I would love for him to initiate stuff by bringing it up in the half court, but every time you see it, he kind of looks like a baby deer running across <laughs> the court. It just looks like he just needs to get more uh, like his just get a better grasp of it, but he has so much talent offensively. It's just so raw right now. It's not like, it's not like with Isaac Okoro through his first few years where we're like trying to find things offensively <laughs> that make him a valid player, but you may, no, you just sell him so short. <laughs> I'm just saying like for year, like immediately when Isaac Okoro was drafted, you're like, wow, defensively, fantastic. Offensively, mm-hmm. Let's find a few reasons that he's semi-decent and not Matisse Thibel. Evan Mobley, you immediately can say he already has some of the best passing feel of any big in the league. And then, oh, by the way, he's also like an all-NBA level defender as a big who just so happens to be able to be a connective tissue player. Yeah, I mean, I I want to see him continue to hone these things. I just I don't see it as a necessity right now. For those people out there who want this guy to put up like 20 plus on a nightly basis, that's just not his role right now. <laughs> and I don't know if it will be for the foreseeable future while you still have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on your roster. Like is it is it nice? Is it cool to see a team that features 3 20 plus point scorers? Pretty awesome, but not everybody has to be or go the Golden State route in regards to offensive production. Um, that's just not the current build of the Cavs, and they don't need to win games that way because their bread and butter is on the defensive side of the ball. If As long as everybody is contributing in that way, as long as the ball is moving around offensively and you're just getting g- good offensive looks, however you may score um, – that's that's really all you can ask for at this point, especially for a guy who's in year two. Like, it does not like th- that third year leap that w- that we could see from him next season, maybe. Uh, but in year two, when he's still trying to figure some things out, it's just not necessary at this point in time. Like, not all leaps are going to be the same. Like coming to this season, uh, we 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 had a certain vision for what Isaac Okoro's third year leap could look like. And it hasn't not hasn't necessarily panned out the way that we'd liked it to, but there are some, there are some things there. And specifically, and you knew I was going to get to this point, buddy. You knew I was going to get to this point, so I might as well. You might as well just let me get it out. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll let you beckon it from the mountaintops. We would be remiss if we did not talk <laughs> about the possible <laughs> transformation of one Isaac Okoro, who is converting 39.6% of his triples over his last 20 appearances. Corey, is he turning into that coveted 3 and D wing that we all want him to be? Hey, Matt, can you share with the listeners the attempts on those 39%? <laughs> it's a little over – I want to say a little over two and a half. I don't have that number right in front of me, uh, but I will say it's not high volume. Um, it's not necessarily something that you could look to and point to and say, hey, this is definite growth. But I will say the area that changes things for me when I'm looking not purely at the attempts is the confidence that he appears to be – showcasing when he's doing that like for so long when he was given these attempts whenever whenever Darius Garland or Ricky Rubio even last season or Donovan Mitchell this season Karis LeVert any ball handler that you want to throw his name out there Karis uh Isaac Okoro looks so damn like 
just discombobulated, so uncomfortable out there from perimeter pulling up to which a lot of the time his go-to move would be a, a head fake. You know, he'd, uh, he tried pump fake his defender in just so he could drive right past them to the hoop for a layup, which oftentimes ends up being contested. And while he has gotten pretty good at finishing through those, you would still like to see him go ahead and pull the trigger with unabashed confidence like you see with so many of these other 3D uh, caliber wings. And so Isaac actually does appear to be looking a lot more confident in that regard when he's taking when he's getting that ball out on the perimeter he's his first instinct does not appear to be pump fake it does not appear to be well what the hell do i do now it is actually taking that shot so for me like it's not just the 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 uh, attempts it's not necessarily where i want it to be cuz i'd like to see him taking at least 3 or 4 a game but I don't need him to as long as everybody else is. Like if you're getting high level amount of attempts from Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, well not Evan Mobley, oh my gosh. If you're getting a high <laughs> level of attempts out of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, to me it doesn't it doesn't kill me to see him only taking like two a game. But I want to hear it from you. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to hear. I just want to know. Do you think there is a possible transformation occurring? Like, can you do is the is the confidence a tangible thing to you? Do you see that? Yeah, I think confidence is big with Isaac Okoro. I think his offensive game completely relies on it. I think when he has at his most confident is when he's at his best. I've said time and time again that I wish Isaac Okoro had the Lamar Stevens confidence <laughs> because if he did, he would be a much better offensive player. I think they're both equally talented offensively. I don't think Lamar Stevens is anything special offensively. It's just that he's willing to put himself in uncomfortable situations that don't match his skill set necessarily. Like we all know Lamar Stevens is his best part of his game is his mid-range jumper and he would hunt to find that spot if he could. But when you think of what shot profile Lamar Stevens has had, he's kind of been the kickout option this year offensively and it's not like he's an absolute bucket whatsoever from the three-point line but you're just happy to see attempts go up from someone on this bench that's absolutely <laughs> lifeless it's not jetty or uh, <clears throat> or kevin love because we know they're not shy yeah and they're actually like v- <laughs> valid three-point options like you're not absolutely. scared when they throw them up but isaac being confident and taking the shots that let's face it are mostly open and created by either of the guards is a very welcome sight. I mean, he was basically played off the floor almost a year ago in the play in the play in games, because he was just, the defense wasn't respecting him and he wasn't making shots. His offensive game was abysmal and he just definitely turned it like turtled into his shell at the prospect of taking open shots with something on the line. So I'm hoping these just build his confidence and we see the shots per attempt shots per game attempts go up. As the season goes along, I don't think I can label him right now as a three and D player. I would be more comfortable labeling him <laughs> as a D with the occasional three uh, type player. Okay. But I I want him to be more confident. I would love to see him like I would say for the next half of the season, if I saw him break a 10 point line, a fourth to like a third of this, the rest of the games, I would consider that a success offensively for him. It's something he could definitely build off of going into next season and even the playoffs. Cause if we can get a semi, like a 
a very efficient offensive Isaac Okoro. Not saying he needs to be a barn burner, but with the attempts he takes confidently, he converts, then that's a success on this season for what looked like it was going to be a disaster at the beginning of the season. It really honestly did. Like he was shooting, I want to say in his first, I had the notes right here in front of me. I just know he was shooting 22 some percent uh, from the start of the season, which was the Toronto game all the way up through December 6th. He was shooting just 22% from range Uh, in his last 20 games, you know, which is December 9th up to today. The man has made a concerted effort to take that shot with a little bit more confidence. He appears to be canning it with more confidence. He really appears to have an affinity for the uh, the right corner, man. He, 47 of his 89 total three-point attempts have come from there. And he's actually hitting with pretty good at a pretty good clip, 36.2, which is probably, I, I want to say, right around league average. Um, don't have that number right in front of me, but I'll take 36.2%. Um, if he can just do that with more uh, with more shot attempts, I'd absolutely love to see it. Is Isaac Okoro, like in, at the end of the day, is Isaac Okoro a 3 and D wing? No. But I'm going to throw the caveat on that, saying that if he continues to do what he is doing right now, I have absolutely no qualms with labeling him that. I just have to see that be more than just a 20-game stretch. Like, we saw like stretches from Isaac Coro like this last season. We saw a huge stretch, maybe not necessarily from three point range, but at least offensively, we saw a huge stretch like this for uh, from him to close out his rookie season, especially that that final month of May. That, that's one of the biggest things that people point out in terms of like pointing to his potential. Um, and on a team like this, where you have just very talented offensive players, I don't think you're going to need anything like crazy out of Isaac. But like you said, if he can get to like double digits, if he can get to scoring in double figures consistently uh, by a season's end, I, I'm absolutely here for it. I'm all here for it. Um, and to his credit, he's actually scored in double figures in five of his last hit. Um, he, he's getting more and more and more confidence. Um, a lot of those buckets are not necessarily coming from three-point range, but rather in transition as we know how effective he is off the fast break. Um, same kind of similar effect to Jetty. Like you feel really good when either of those guys is in transition. And that not that has not always been the case. So um, I suffice it to say, I, I'm still a huge believer in Isaac Okoro. Time will tell whether or not he morphs into that uh, coveted 3D wing. And again, I'm not saying like that he is like the – the the next big premier three and D wing. I'm not saying that he is the answer to our prayers. At uh, at that, he's not OG and Anobi, <laughs> but he, he's certainly trending in the right direction. Uh, but to close things out here, man, I just wanted to ask you and get your opinion on this because with the return of Ricky Rubio, a huge wrench has been thrown into an already tough situation for JB Bickerstaff to manage. Uh, as of right now, I think it's kind of fair to assume that Isaac is going to remain the starter for the foreseeable future at that three, at least until we know what the fuck is going on with Dean Wade. Uh, and Dean, come on the pod and tell us what's wrong. <laughs> it's the perfect opportunity. <laughs> you have a lot of free time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other four starters automatically going to remain the same. That ain't changing anytime soon. And get Mobley out of there. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, replace him with Kev. 
No, we're listening uh, with the other Mobley. Yeah, I hear he's doing good <laughs> with the can charge. Uh, yeah, Isaiah actually is. It's crazy. Um, the real, like, to me, like, we've seen the Cavs go about t- 10 deep, I want to say, since Rubio's come back. Blasphemy uh, for J.B. Bickerstaff to go to the double digits. Absolute <laughs> blasphemy. We've seen him go 10 deep since Rubio uh, has come back with various minute, minute totals among the reserves. So at this moment in time, my friend, who is in your rotation and who is out? We're, we're going to rule Dean Wade out right now. We obviously have to rule the uh, the ghost that is Dylan Windler. No. Uh, <laughs> At least my roll. favorite asset to throw into trades. <laughs> Maybe all 2K, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So not factoring those two gents in who is in your rotation right now and who is out. I'm assuming we're just going to say starting five the same. <laughs> yes, like I think it's fair to assume that Isaac again is going to be that starting three based off his play. So let's let's get that out of the way. The real fun here is with the bench. Um, if you have to go nine, because yeah, 10 is, I was going to go nine. Yeah, because ten is cut. It very you're not. This is JB Bickerstaff we're talking about. All right, we all know <laughs> it's basically eight and a half. <laughs> right now you're playing with fire, JB. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not going to see a 10-man rotation come the postseason. So what is your nine-man rotation right now looking like with the he- the healthy available players off your bench? It's going to have to be uh, Karis, Kevin, Ricky for th- three. So that already just leaves me one. It's <laughs> <laughs> your coveted ninth man. I'm just going to give it to Jetty Osman, <laughs> honestly. I uh-huh. think – he benefits the most from uh, Ricky Rubio's return. Him and Kevin Love honestly benefit a lot. Like you said before, the best stretch that either of those players had last season was tied to Ricky Rubio because he just knows how to put players in good spots. And those players are both – they benefit more from an open shot than anyone else on this team. I Like Darius and Donovan – can make difficult shots whenever not saying Kevin and Jetty camp, but for God's sakes, this offense on this bench is atrocious. <laughs> so I will take as many open opportunities as possible. And I think this Cavs team does still does not have enough three point, like enough threatening three point attempts. So anything that we can use to <laughs> booster that, or bolster that would greatly benefit us. I mean, we all know that that ninth spot is going to be a classic JB move where it's just going to rotate between Jetty, Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade as the season goes along. I mean, unless Dean plays out of his mind when he returns from his mysterious vacation to the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that that spot's still going to be up, which is crazy because, like, Jetty played himself out of that spot last year, and we all understood why he was in the doghouse. But Jetty Osmond is still, the one, shockingly, one of the more reliable players the Cavs have coming off the bench this year. And that alone shows you how screwed we are coming off the bench. <laughs> oh, man, I mean, I just... I do not think there's any other answer at this point in time. And I hate to say that because there's like all of this, the, the production off the bench has been just so up and down. It's, it's just been ass. So like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. It's been, if you have a player hit double digits off the bench, 
it's a win for the bench. Like the starting five is carrying this offense so greatly. It's ridiculous. And it's not even saying like we're a good offensive team. It's like the case of, oh, the defense played really well. We got a lot of good transition buckets. Oh, and by the way, Donovan Mitchell scored 40 plus. Or, oh, by the way, Darius Garland scored 30 plus. Or Karis LeVert randomly woke up from a coma and scored 20 points. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, just look at the last few games in general. Like against, I want to say Minnesota, their bench scored like 56 points, I think. I think their bench, Prince. <laughs> their bench went off for like 56. I'm pretty sure Phoenix before that, um, which was obviously bolstered by the huge game from Dwayne Washington, uh, junior All star. <laughs> uh, you, you just look at these other benches around the league and you're like, man, like the hell is the Cavs doing? They have, they have some weapons here. I just don't know what it, what's going on here. Guys are just cold, but to your point about the the rotation, those four bench spots that are up. I just don't think there's any other answer. Like Karis LeVert, you're going to see him play a ton of minutes off the bench still. Ricky Rubio is now in the mix, so he's going to get his time. Kevin Love's minutes will probably fluctuate from game to game depending upon how he looks out there defensively because it could be bad. Is And offensively at this point. Like, you know, cool. it, it was valuable last year to have Kevin Love throw up all those attempts. Yeah. But that was when we didn't really have money other players willing to take it because we had the ghost of Karis LeVert come mm-hmm. off our bench last year. So um, this year, Kevin Love can go 0 for 4, and I, I'm pretty much out for Kevin Love that night because it just it's not valuable to have him not play defense mm-hmm. and just <laughs> throw bricks up. I could just have Robin Lopez come in and take those the same amount of three-point attempts and go 0 for 4 and get a better impact on the defensive end. I mean, when you're really looking at this, you know, from the top down, uh, Kevin Love, that's exactly how you're going to have to play him moving forward. Like if he's not adding offensive value, it's okay to pull minutes from him to give to somebody else. And you're like, you're seeing that with Karis LeVert. Like um, you're really honestly seeing that with a couple of players. Like you're not necessarily, Isaac Okoro does not need to play the same complement of minutes that the rest of the starters do. So that's an automatic place where you're going to pull minutes from. I'm okay with that because if he's not adding offense on some nights, it's okay to substitute that defensive presence that he brings to the table for some type of offensive impact. Um, and you're going to see the same thing with Kevin Love all but conversely. If he's not bringing you something on the offensive end, it's okay to substitute him for somebody else. Now, the real question really comes in is, okay, well, how many minutes are you willing to have Ricky Rubio out there? How many minutes are you willing to let Jetty, uh, you know, chuck shots up if he's not really, if he doesn't have it going on? Are you okay with substituting a player like that out for a Lamar Stevens who's not a, a noted offensive presence but can spark something from time to time? So just to – I say all that to say there is really no other answer here on most nights other than a starting five like you have right now and the bench – the the four men off the bench being Karis LeVert, Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, and Jetty Osmond. You don't know what's going on with Dean right now. You know what you're going to get from Lamar on most nights. How Neto is – I, and I hate to say this, but at, at the same time, like he served his purpose uh, with with Ricky. <laughs> Rest in peace, valuable <laughs> prince. <laughs> he's he's kind of served his purpose with Ricky coming back. He he did his job. 
And I'm glad he's not I'm, dead back. I'm grateful for that. He obviously he's not dead, but he's this is buried. like in memoriam. <laughs> he's <laughs> done what he needs to do. He's, he's buried on that bench now, man. I mean, I can't sugarcoat it. Like he is now literally the fifth guard. Is that accurate? Yeah. <laughs> uh, fifth guard, depending upon what you consider a guard these days. It's like the uh, Homer Simpson Bart meme on the couch where he's just JB's just plat- patting the spot right next to him being like, you can sit here now. And how, of course, it's like the minute how Neto shows a pulse uh-huh. as a bench player comes into his own wins the, the, the junkyard dog award like twice in a week. It's like, oh, by the way, Ricky Rubio is coming back, and uh, it was nice having you around. Maybe if you're lucky, you could be our like. Maybe if you're lucky, you could get the Robin Lopez treatment next year. Exactly. Like seriously, like he is now. If he was not a depth piece before, that he is absolutely a depth piece now. Like in break, he's a reserve. (laughs) He's not even a depth piece. Break in case of emergency, Uh, and the same thing. Well, actually, no, I can't even go that far because I feel like the path to minutes for Robin Lopez is easily a lot clearer than it is for uh, for Howell at this point in time. Kevin Love has a cold. Guess who's getting the first call? They're telling exactly. Rolo to get off the pine wood and get back on the floor. And that, like, that's been a sour point for the, for fans this season. Is like, do we need extra depth at the backup center spot? Yes. Um, and I think a lot of people were, were clamoring, including myself, like we're we're kind of clamoring here for the Cavs to bring in some type of big. I'm not necessarily saying at the expense of Robin, but if you have to move somebody, if you have to move on from somebody at this point, given that Ricky is back, I'm okay with cutting bait with uh with Howell or or seeing what you can get for, you know, just depending upon how they view it. Obviously, I'm not in the organization, but I'm just saying like you have, you have the pieces here. Like if you need to let go of somebody, you you can facilitate a move for a big. Um, And and there are, there do appear to be some that are available for you to take a swing on. That's all I'm saying. Like, I I think that's fair at this point, because to my knowledge, and you know, I do have to ask you this. I don't feel like I've asked you in a while. Do you actually see, because I think people have their expectations in regards to trade season, like way too high. Do you actually see the Cavs acquiring their small forward of the future this season? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not at all. Zero chance. I think uh, it's more likely the Cavs get someone off the buyout market. If this rumored Malik Beasley, Karis mm-hmm. LeVert trade goes through, I'm going to be looking up local bridges in my area. Because <laughs> I swear to God, it's like, let's just keep trading for the same archetype of player and hope for the best. It's like, oh, you know that thing that didn't work with Karis LeVert? Hmm. What if we get another guard that likes to shoot and nothing else? Oh, that'd be a really good idea. What if we take a guy who wore an ankle bracelet from prison <laughs> like two years ago? <laughs> I'm not on the Beasley train either. Um, I, I really hope that does not come to fruition. Trade for I, Jordan Clarkson if you're doing that trade. Don't trade for Malik Beasley. I... When is the biggest game Malik Beasley has ever played in? <laughs> I think like the biggest thing when people are talking about these hypotheticals in regards to Karis LeVert is, well, if the Cavs don't plan on re-signing him, then you got to move him. I get it. Like I do. And I haven't looked at Beasley's contract details. It's like three and 52. Is he under contract for the next two seasons or is that due to end next no, year? No, it, it, I think he just freshly got signed by uh, 
Minnesota before he got traded. Okay, so that's probably like it's the same thing with Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, and, Which I would some, also vomit. In yeah, my mouth. With, with with these <laughs> with some of these options out here, it's okay. Well, you kind of know what you're getting from both of these players. It's kind of similar to what Karis does provide, but they're under contract on reasonable deals. Like, uh, and I think that's the biggest sticking point in regards to the trade. Like, I don't think the Cavs deep down believe like they're going to get that guy uh, up for the future, but I do think there is something in the belief that. Hey, maybe we're not long for Karis. Maybe we don't want to sign him to a long-term extension. So let's see what we can get out of him. And I think that's what you're seeing right now with them kind of like testing the waters here. But didn't we like you called this before the season? Like we kind of knew like this is where we were heading, like with Karis in regards to is he going to be a long-term piece for the Cavs or is he going to be a trade asset? And he just so happens to be the most attractive trade asset the Cavs probably have right now if that's saying anything (laughs) i don't think he's that attractive if i'm being honest (laughs) i think his value is worse than when we acquired him but in indiana Uh he was one of the guys yeah he had to score night to night in cleveland it's like cross your fingers and hope karis lavert has a pulse (laughs) i think like even for me like that's even a little bit overblown i just think for him like the shot attempts if you give them to him he can he can do something with them but oftentimes he does shoot himself in the foot with some of these (laughs) terrible mid-range pull-ups he loves them though he's kobe reincarnated (laughs) i cringe like i literally cringe each time i because you know what's happening from a mile away you can see that he has tunnel vision to your point earlier um and he's looking to shoot like sometimes he will literally be driving the basketball he'll have somebody open out on the perimeter that he could kick it out to and a lot of times i'm not gonna lie it's isaac okoro so he's probably <laughs> thinking his, he's probably thinking in his head well i don't trust he's <laughs> I don't like i ran it through my data center and i determined by amazon prime metrics he's like uh, the equalizer. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> he's like the equalizer and he's processing shit uh, in light speed, but um, no, I went through IBM Watson and he told me not to pass it to Isaac. Exactly. So you get the point here. I just think that rather than the Cavs trading for a Tim Hardaway Jr. or trading for Malik Beasley, I would much rather than rather them at this point, either one, let Karis walk in free agency and let, you know, see what, how that plays out or two, resign him. I'd rather see either of those two scenarios than for them to trade for Beasley or to trade for Hardaway Jr. Or there was somebody else they were pointing out because um, the Cavs have been linked to a few different players. But Kelly none- Oubre was for a little bit, and then he got hurt. Yeah, that went away. Bojan is also a popular one, but Just we don't can't have- compete with the price. Nor do I want to, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> So I just like I don't need to make small neat like needle like increments at the small forward position for improvement. I feel like the Cavs just need to like be financially savvy rather than overpay for a mediocre wing. I think that's fair. And you're looking at the age of these guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. is in his 30s. Boyan is too. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how old Malik Beasley is, but I don't feel like he's a young like a, a young dude himself. Beasley's more of a shooting guard too. He's not really a small, like a three at exactly. all. So I I do not see them finding the guy of the future at the small four position this season. Like, I don't even know if they'll find it next season, to be honest with you, but I don't think that they just need to be in the, in the mood to make moves just to make moves. The I, Cavs I really just need a PJ Tucker type 
player, like a stopgap veteran that can fill the role. He does. They don't need a future player because they have four players that are incredibly talented and at a star level. What team outside of the Warriors in like 2016 had a one through five that you were like, damn, well, this is just <laughs> stupid. Uh, you want to make a case for Boston? Maybe. I don't know. Um, Boston has a bunch of like a but like at, like. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if I consider like, are we considering like Al Horford still at that level? I would still can <laughs> like Al Horford to me is like that veteran who's just giving you what you need. I don't think PJ all- Tucker. Yeah, yeah. dude, PJ Tucker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, no, you make a very compelling point. I think that's definitely true uh, in, in reference to that. You don't like you're one through in order to win a championship. Your one through five doesn't have to be stacked. It doesn't have to be like five all stars. It just like it's it's not going to happen purely based upon the fact that there is a salary cap in the NBA and you you have to make cuts somewhere. And a lot of teams like get production here and they get by in other positions. Like clearly the Cavs have made an investment in their backcourt and in their front in their front court in regards to their center and their small forward. If you could just get a competent three and D wing, which Jay I am. Crowder. That's a name people like to toss out too. Um, you can get a competent three and D wing who knows their role is not going to ask for too much, which is is a tough thing because three and D players are like the the thing now these days. They're the hot commodity, which is why they're so damn hard to uh, to acquire. But if you can get that, which I'm still very hopeful that Isaac Okoro can develop into, then you're golden and you have a shot to win a title. Um, no no two title teams are comprised the same way. Not every blueprint works for everybody. Uh, that's just the bottom line. Uh, but with that being the case, like we always tell you guys, if you like to reach out to us, you can at his Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive is Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to it's Cavalier53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.